We're in the midst of a series of messages on the book of Proverbs, and we're learning that the Bible has all kinds of applications to our everyday lives, and it oftentimes speaks into situations and relationships that we deal with. After the first service, people were coming up to me, okay, I'm going to go talk to this relative now, or I'm going to go do this. People were inspired, so hopefully you will be this service as well. But last week... We saw where Solomon said, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. So everything comes from the heart. And if we're trying to bring about a change in our lives, then it's going to begin with the heart. If we try to address something else first, it just won't work. I have developed a little bit of skill at renovations and I've been doing... Actually, most of our house I've now renovated, but electrical is not my thing. I was doing okay at it first. I was changing outlets and putting in those nice white square decora outlets, and I turned off the power on the main level of our house. We live in a four-level, split-level house, and I had everything changed, and then I came to this light switch at the bottom of the stairs, a light that you could turn on and off from the top level and from this level. So I wasn't smart enough to think that you know, these wires might just actually be live. And it's a weird feeling you get when you touch a live wire with a screwdriver. But I put in some baseboard heaters. Everything worked well in my home, but I did a couple of them for my daughter and son-in-law, and eventually the heaters didn't work. A wire came off, and she had to get an electrician. So when I uh, promised my wife that I would renovate her sewing room when she turned 65. I was into a big job, so I decided I'm going to hire an electrician. And this young guy came, he put in half a dozen spotlights, he uh, put in some outlets for her that were above the desk counter where she was working, and everything was going great. He had turned off the breaker, to make sure that he didn't get in trouble when he was working. But then he went in and flipped on a breaker and nothing happened. So he was checking the bulbs, he was looking at his wiring, he said everything is looking good. But then I noticed on the panel that he had actually flipped a breaker that was vacant and it was right beside the one he had turned off. So I, I could have told him that, but I said, let me see if I can find the problem. So I go over and I flip the breaker and the lights come on and I, I looked like a genius. But, but this guy, he had all the expertise, he had all the knowledge, he was putting in a lot of effort to try and find why those new lights weren't working. But it didn't really matter until we flipped the switch or flipped the right breaker. And as we study through the book of Romans, through Proverbs today, we'll discover that the switch has to be flipped, and the switch is our heart. And we'll try all kinds of things. We'll rewire. We'll uh, attempt behavior modification. We'll buy self-help books. We'll even watch talk shows on TV. It couldn't be anything worse than some of those. But we do all these things to try and address the issue. But until that flip switch it takes place, then until we address things from the inside out, until we're honest about the condition of our hearts, then it just doesn't work. So as we've studied through Proverbs, 
we discovered that the switch yet to be flipped is our heart. And it's especially true in regards to what we're talking about today because we're going to be talking about the words that we speak. And seven times Solomon makes a direct connection between our mouth and our hearts, that what we say reflects what's in our heart. And Jesus taught about this as well. And there are a couple of passages in the book of Matthew I want to look at. In chapter 15, Jesus said, but what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And then in chapter 12, verse 34, the mouth speaks the things that are in the heart. Now, most of us have had the experience where we said something in anger, and as soon as we said it, we, oh, why did I say that? We regretted it. We didn't really mean to. It, it just came out, and we wonder why. And Jesus says, that's because it was really in your heart. That was the problem. And so we try to filter uh, what's in our heart. But when we're angry, when we're upset, when we're frustrated, when we've had it with someone, suddenly the filter breaks down and the words come out and the heart is reflected. We have all kinds of words that uh, we use today. And, and it's not just conversations on the phone anymore, but we are on Zoom, we have FaceTime, and then we do all kinds of conversations with our thumbs and maybe typing in Messenger. And on average, we have 30 conversations a day. We spend one-fifth of our life in conversation with others. And if you recorded a person's words during the course of one year, there would be enough books to fill 53 500-page books. So if someone was to go over to the bookshelf of your words and take one of those books down, what would they read about what you spoke last week? What would it say about you? How would your words reflect your heart? Because What's in your heart comes out of your mouth. Proverbs 18.21 is probably the best verse that captures the overall wisdom of Proverbs. And he sums it up for us in one sentence. The tongue has the power of life and death. And most of us have experienced both. And if I asked you about words that have brought life, my guess is you could think of these. You could think of a statement or two that was said to you at just the, the right time, maybe when you were a child, and these words really brought life to you in one way or another. They really ended up directing your life and shaping how you saw yourself. I sent an email out to our church community this week asking for help. And I asked two questions, and the first one was, what are some words that have brought life to you over the years? And I got an amazing response, so I couldn't use everybody's answer, but here are some of them. And if you're in the room, I'll try not to look at you when I'm giving your answer to give that away. So here are a number of the different things that were shared. God is with you and with me. Someone else was told, you are like a rare diamond. Your brightness glistens and shines. And then someone who was going through a struggle was told, you are smarter and stronger, and most of all, you are loved. And then one guy said he was told to be true to himself and embrace his unique qualities. Your authenticity is your strength. You are loved was another one. I love talking to you. It always turns out so well. This was a work situation where someone had that said to them. And then someone else in a grieving situation heard, know that I am grieving with you. 
And then another person said, there's always a way out. Thank you for contributing to my life. You are worth it. We are always here, never leaving you. We love you. Best hugs ever. That was someone that was told that by their family. And then one young woman was told by her parents, I'm proud of you. I love you. And I'm so thankful for you. And the list goes on. And I pray that we've experienced some of that in our lives. That at the right time, the right person came along and said the right things. Words can do that. But words also have the power of death. And in some ways, it's easier for us to recall those words that have been spoken to us. We're now in Proverbs 12, verse 18. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So when the same group of guys gets together over and over again, eventually you get to the point of comparing scars. And one guy says, well, here's the, the scar on my knee from the surgery I had. And then someone else goes, well, here's my scar from my, the wipeout that I had on my scooter. And then my, some of my cousins, they've got good scars because one of them got in a homemade go-kart at the top of a really steep paved road which had a steep turn at the bottom, and there's no way a go-kart is making it around that corner. And then another cousin was with me. We were up in the field at our farm. Some relatives arrived. We were excited to go see them. I was smart enough to slow down, crawl under the fence, the barbed wire fence, but he decides, I'm going to do like I'm sliding into second, and it won't slow me down any. Barbed wire cut him three, he has three scars there to this day on his temple. And then I've got scars from surgery, I've got scars from hockey, I could show you all kinds of scars. But those scars actually fade a little bit over time. And they don't look as impressive as they once did, but they're still there. And I think that for many of us, this is what we do. We kind of carry these scars from the swords that have stabbed us, words that were spoken to us. And yes, they've gone away some. The pain has stopped considerably. But that scar, it's still there. So I asked our church community to help me with this one as well. What are some words of death that wounded you in some way and you still easily recall them? And here was one guy, he said, his wife said, I'm leaving you. We are disappointed in you. It's your fault. Why can your sister do that and you can't? And, and then one person said, it was actually the times of silence. I needed words from family and didn't get anything. And that's what really hurt me. And then one man was trying to make a decision about life direction, career direction. He spoke to a friend. And the friend said, you're the one that was called by God, not me. And, and then one man was told, you will not be able to go to any university or college with your grades. You're working so hard that you should know that your appraisal will not be impacted by your hard work. And then someone was told, you do not qualify. And a teenager said that I was told by a relative that I was good for nothing, a mooch. And, and the list goes on. And most of us have experienced those wounds, those words that have the power of death. So I want us to concentrate on what Solomon says here and look at his wisdom when it comes to these words 
that are actually toxic because over time they just kind of tear down and they destroy. Toxins are abrasive and corrosive and they just gradually wear away at the surface of something and tear it down. And without even realizing it, our talk can become toxic. Why? Because of the way someone is using their words and it brings death. So we'll look at that and we'll also find some ways that we can bring life with our words. So one category in Proverbs would be gossip and slander. And they tend to kind of link those two together because they both have such a negative effect. And we think of gossip as just talking behind someone's back. And for those of you new to our culture, that means just talking about somebody when they're not present. And it's saying things that aren't true. But gossip is actually broader than that. It's saying something behind someone's back that if they knew you said it, it would hurt them. And it does nothing to solve a problem. It does nothing to uplift or encourage. It's just hurtful talk. Now, the Bible says in Proverbs 16, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. So when you gossip, it causes dissension. It separates relationships. And the Greek word for gossip helps us to understand it a little bit because it's the word whisperer. So it's someone who goes around and whispers things about people, and, but they aren't willing to step up and say this to their face. So they will say things like, I don't really have a problem with gossip, but you should hear my next door neighbor. There's so much trouble that they're having with gossip. And that's the attitude that we tend to approach it with. So I want to share some ways that we justify gossip by calling it something else. And one category of gossipers would be the I have a prayer request gossipers. They'll be in the church sometimes and they'll tell you something about someone else, but they'll kind of cloak it in spiritual language of a prayer request. I walked by Bill and Joan's house, and boy, were they ever yelling at one another. They've got major marital problems. We need to pray for them. So we spiritualize our gossip by calling it a prayer request. But it's still gossip, and it's still a sin. And here's another type. It's the bless your heart gossiper. And you know these people. It's basically where they think they can say anything they want about anybody as long as after it they say, well, bless your heart. And that means everything is fine. So I read this where he's trying to make his hair look like Justin Bieber's. Bless his heart. And, and I would say bless his heart too if he's trying to do that. But that's gossip. Another type is we cloak our gossip in concern. Well, I'm just being a good Christian, and I'm expressing my concern by making sure everybody is aware of this situation. And I can give you an example. I was 48 when I played my last year of competitive hockey, so that's 15 years ago, and I was starting to lose the edge a little bit. I had a couple of teeth knocked out earlier, and I had a partial plate, which I always remove before games, but I started wearing it during the game. And then sure enough, I hit with a stick, and my mouth was numb, but I knew there was a tooth missing, and I was just hoping it was my partial plate and not another permanent one. So I said to the guys, what tooth are you missing? And it was my partial plate, 
and I had to pay money to get that fixed up. And actually, it forced me to get a bridge, which is much better. But uh, then I also started leaving my wedding ring on. You always take rings off when you play hockey. In my early days, it might have been because if you get in a fight with a ring on, you're kicked out of the game. But it's just not wise to wear it. But I started wearing my wedding ring. Wedding ring. And, and I blocked a shot one time. The, the puck hit right on my ring. And my, I had my stick behind my hand. And the ring just flattened out. I managed to get it off before my hand was all swollen. And then I had no time to get to a jewelry store to have that fixed. So I didn't wear my ring for a certain length of time. And then a guy comes up to me and he said, you're not wearing your wedding ring anymore. Are you and your wife, Pat, having problems? Um, and, and, well, not that I know of. So I mentioned it to <laughs> Pat, and I said, do you think that there's an issue with me not wearing a wedding ring? Will women think that I'm available? And she laughed. <laughs> and not because I wasn't still desirable, because it's because uh, her love for me was so strong and we were so secure in our love and, and in our relationship. I was at the top of my game then. That was before cancer surgery and a bunch of other stuff. But, but then another guy said, I hear that you and Pat aren't even sleeping in the same bed. And I, news to me again. But, but, but that has happened since then. When I had my surgery, she did not need to be in the same room with me. And then during COVID, she goes to a different part of the house altogether, which was smart. But someone starts the little rumor, and then the talk grows and grows, and it can stir up division. And it's all cloaked in Christian concern. Well, it's my Christian duty to make sure you know about this. Another kind of gossip is that I'm just telling it like it is a gossiper. And they make it sound like gossiping behind someone's back is actually very courageous. Like it's something for me to actually tell you this. And I'm not telling you anything I wouldn't say to them if they were right here. And, but that's a no to that because if they would say that to them, they would have said it to them and they wouldn't be saying it to me. But God calls it a sin because of what it does to relationships. And the longer this goes unchecked, the worse it gets. So Proverbs 26 says, Without wood, a fire will go out. And without gossip, quarreling will stop. So it's amazing how quickly a fire stops when there's nothing there to burn. And it's the same thing in regards to a person who's gossiping. Just say, Let's go and talk to him or to her. And let's see if what people are saying is true or not. So when there's gossip and lots of whispering, it stirs up and it causes division. Now in the book of Proverbs, gossip is referred to as a sin. But it's not just in reference to what we say, but it's also in reference to what we're listening to. So gossip isn't something we just say with our mouths, but we gossip when we listen to someone else gossiping. Listen to Proverbs 17. Wrongdoers perk up when listening to gossip, and liars lean in close to hear talk of mischief. So we have a responsibility not just to avoid speaking it, but to avoid listening to it. And then there's another category in Proverbs that would be called criticism and complaining. And that's just toxic. And 
if you know someone like this, you know that they're just like a, a sponge and their negativity just kind of draws the life out of the people that share life with them. You talk to them and they see the negative. You ask them about their job and they complain about the boss. They complain about their coworkers and the commute. Ask them about their family and they complain about their spouse, complain about their child. They'll complain about school, about gas prices. And if you talk to them about church, they complain about the sermon. Imagine that. And, and, and the worship. It's always negative. And it's just the way some people tend to see the world. And when you're around someone like that, their words are just like words of death. And listen to how Proverbs explains living with someone like that. Now, those of you that know the book of Proverbs realize that this verse had to come up at some point. <laughs> a nagging wife. Now, I'm really going to say, a spouse who's negative, critical about everything, is like water going drip, drip, drip on a rainy day. How can you keep her quiet? Have you ever tried to stop the wind or ever tried to hold a handful of oil? So someone who is negative and critical about everything, it's just as if you have a leak in your roof and there's that drip, drip, drip. We had to replace the shingles on our building in 1993 and we had this side all finished and we were looking forward to the other side and this horrible day of rain came and the water was coming in and we had drip, drip, drip everywhere on this side of the building. But that's what... Solomon tells us that it's like when someone gossips. It's as if there's that drip, 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 that constant negativity. It wears you out. It's the words of death. A university did a study where they were trying to show how negativity is one of the most accurate predictors of marital success. And they studied couples that had been married for at least 10 years, and here's what they discovered. If the negative comments were five or less per 100 comments, then that marriage was going to do really well. But if that figure was 10 comments per 100 comments, 10 negative ones, then that marriage was in trouble. Why? Because negative words of complaining and criticism, they just kind of draw the life out of the relationship. And it's drip, drip, drip. It poisons our relationships and our families and our churches and our environments. And some of you live in a toxic environment like that, and you know how the tone, it's always harsh. Maybe it's the person in authority over you at work, and it just makes it miserable for you. And you become unmotivated, and you're scared because it doesn't matter what you do, you feel as if you're going to be criticized for it. And it just draws the life out of that work environment. Here's one of the ways that you know you have someone like this in your life. Your phone rings, and you look down, you see the name, and you go, oh, no, I don't want to talk to them, because you know it's going to be a long conversation. You know that there's going to be criticism in there. There will be complaining, and it's hard to take those calls. Another way you can tell this is when you pull into the parking lot at work and you just kind of subconsciously look around and you see that that car is not there and you just think, oh, it's going to be a good day today. And it's because of what those people can do to an environment. It brings death. But here's what Solomon says on the other hand, Proverbs 10. 
The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. The words of the godly are a life-giving fountain is what he's saying. They bring life to the people around them. And then Proverbs 10. The words of the godly encourage many. So your words, words that build up, words that or words that tear down. What are your words like? Do you complain or do you compliment? Do you criticize or do you encourage? Our words have the power of life and they have the power of death. Now, if you see yourself spewing out this toxin, what do you do with it? The first thing we've got to understand is what we've said before, is that it comes from the heart. Everybody wants to be given a list of three things to do. Okay, when I start talking like that, what can I do to stop it? But it doesn't work that way. We have to actually look at that person. If we are constantly criticizing, let's say it's our spouse, then it's an indication that we have some bitterness and anger in our heart toward our spouse. And you can say, I'm not going to be critical anymore, and it might work for a while, but until you forgive and give grace, you're going to keep being critical. Maybe you were the one criticized growing up and you don't have an encouraged heart and you need to forgive your mom or your dad and because until you do that, until you start hearing the true words of what God has to say about you, until your heart is encouraged, you are going to have a hard time encouraging others. And then maybe you're one of the complainers. You didn't mean to, but it happens. But where does that come from? It comes from the heart. And you can try and stop complaining, but until you get down on your knees and you thank God for his blessing in your life, for his grace, for his mercy, for his salvation, for his forgiveness, until your heart is filled with gratitude, you're not going to be able to stop complaining. Now, maybe you're a person that gossips, and you don't mean to, Maybe you don't even realize that you're doing it and someone else points it out. For me, I get this flushed feeling. When I've said something, and I realize I should not have said that. I just feel hot all over. So where does this gossiping come from? It comes from the heart. So until we start celebrating with others, until we start praying God's blessing upon their lives, chances are we're going to keep struggling with gossip. If you think through Proverbs and read, there are a number of things that can make a big difference, just a few little things. The first one is think before you speak because we're told that as kids and it's good wisdom that we see all the way through Proverbs. In 29, do you see people who speak too quickly? There is more hope for a foolish person than for them. And then in Proverbs 10, if you talk a lot, you are sure to sin. If you are wise, you will keep quiet. Now, I could even change that to pray before you speak. So before you say something, just have a a moment with God. Ask for his wisdom. Ask for his tone and his words and ask him to guard your lips. Another piece of wisdom from Proverbs, it's one of my favorite Proverbs on the tongue, and it's chapter 25, verse 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. What could be more special than that? And I like the way the paraphrase is done in the message. The right word 
at the right time is like a custom-made piece of jewelry. So it's amazing the difference that our words make when we say the right thing at the right time. One of the responses to my question about what brought life to you was a man who said, I had just turned myself in for a crime that I had committed, and my dad, he hugged me, and he cried on my shoulder, and he called me his son and said that he was proud of me for turning myself in. And please understand the power of that. There, that was a crucial point in that man's life. But the right words came from the right person at the right moment, and that was the power of life. So I'm just going to ask you, you probably don't have a piece of paper, so just take out your phone. And I want you to remind yourself to do something. That when you go home, I want you to take a piece of paper and mark a line down the middle of it, And on the left side of that sheet of paper, just type in this question that I'm asking you. What are the names of some significant people in your life? And you don't have to overthink that. Family member, a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker. And put their first name in that column. And then look at each name and then ask yourself the second question that we'll put up on the screen. What are some life-giving words that they need to hear from me right now? Because when you say it, that will make the difference. They need to hear it right now because it's the right words at the right time from the right person and it brings life. So when you say, I'm proud of you, when you say, you're beautiful, when you say, I'm sorry, when you say, you're doing an awesome job, when you say, I'm praying for you, when you say, you can get through this, those are words of life. So please, just close your eyes for a moment, and I want to talk us through a couple of things as we finish up. One of the challenges when it comes to the words we speak is that we don't consider what we say or how we say it as sin. And the tongue has a way of justifying itself. People who are critical will say, well, that's just the way I'm wired. I can't do anything differently. People who are negative will say, that's my personality type. People who are argumentative will say, well, you need to understand the stress I'm under. Their harsh tone or their angry words are justified because in their mind, their spouse, their child, their employee, their neighbor, their co-worker had it coming. Someone else's sin or someone else's behavior makes their sin acceptable. So we want to confess our sin. Understand that Jesus died for your harsh tone. He died for your constant complaining. He died for your gossip and your name-calling. It is a sin, and we need to repent of it. We need to be sorrowful for the damage that we've done with our words. So would you just confess that sin to God and ask him to heal the damage that your words have caused? And now think of a few people that you need to go to to say some words like, I am sorry, and I was wrong for what I said. Please forgive me. And you may think that they've forgotten, but they haven't forgotten. And some of you have the power today to change someone's life by speaking some healing words into their heart. Who are those people in your life? And I want to finish up with some words. Just listen with your eyes closed again. Listen to these words. If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, these are the words of life that God wants you to hear. You are not condemned. You are forgiven. You are brand new. You are holy and without blame. 
You have been delivered from the power of darkness. God says, I love you with an everlasting love, and I have a plan for your life. You have been set free. You can do this, and God will give you the strength. You are the light of the world. You are an overcomer. You are the apple of my eye. You are my child.